Hello, folks. My name is Spencer George, and you are listening to the Good Folk Podcast. Welcome to 2023, and welcome to Season 2. Today, I'm honored to introduce to you the official bard of Baldwin County, an unofficial title, but one the county officials don't particularly seem to mind, given that their tunes are so catchy. Jackson Chambers, often referred to as the Bard, is an up-and-coming queer folk musician. Originally hailing from the Mobile Tinsaw Delta, they're currently based out of Auburn, in part due to their anthropology degree requirements. Raised in the hot morning dew of southern Alabama yard sales and the powder sugar-dusted walls of their family's bakery, the Bard makes music to satisfy an eclectic mind. Starting in high school as the frontman for what was effectively a shitty Green Day Misfits cover band, the Bard is a completely self-taught musician. Despite no formal training, the Bard has wasted no time in exercising their artistic muscles. Fans of lo-fi outsider musicians and folk punk revivalists will appreciate their carefully crafted lyrics and occasional off-key yelps, while the old-time fogies and fogies at heart will enjoy their library of Americana standards. While a country goth by trade, the bard is hard-pressed to stick to a genre for long, incorporating a diverse menagerie of weird instruments and deep-cut tributes. Their high and lonesome tone, alongside their frantic flamenco-punk guitar playing, make them an instant favorite for many new fans. Their newest EP, The Patron Saint of Something, is available on streaming services everywhere, and they can often be found busking on weekends in downtown Auburn, digging through dusty thrift stores, on the airwaves of WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's student-run radio station. Overall, they're very glad to make your acquaintance and hope to see you again soon, you hear. There's no possible way I could follow an introduction like that, so we might as well get into it. Suffice it to say, I'm a big fan of the Bard, and I'm a big fan of this conversation. I hope you enjoy. up on the screen um, spencer <laughs> did you forget to hit record <laughs> you have one job <laughs> thank you thank you i was just gonna say it's been a very long day i've been teaching since 9 30 i did 100 percent forget to click record um so we can just start that from the top <laughs> this is why i usually have the main account <laughs> so you don't have to worry about this <laughs> This is live. Yeah, we, we've swapped oh. the accounts tonight. Um, okay, I'm so sorry. Let's take it from the top. Why don't we start with, tell me in the very simplest of terms, who you are and what you do. Cool. Uh, my name is Jackson Riley Chambers, um, and I am the official bard of Baldwin County, Alabama, not Baldwin County, Georgia. I have yet to visit there, even though I probably only live like maybe two hours outside of there. But they're the same same name. Who knows? Um, I make folk music, um, or folk adjacent music, or folk esque music, um, and I uh, like to do that. I like to play. I like to play folk music. That's my spiel. So I definitely want to get into in a minute, like your whole journey and your career as a musician. But I, I really want to start actually here with this piece of folk music and what that means to you. As many people who listen to the podcast know, I'm a folklorist. That is my whole thing. And I spend so much time debating what folklore even is with people and especially folk music, which is what most people understand. When people hear folklore, I feel like they either think of fairy tales and legends and stories, or they think of folk music. And I did an activity with my students recently where I said, you know, what does a folk musician look like? And the general consensus was it's like a man on a farm with a banjo and a very long beard. And it's not untrue. There are plenty of folk musicians who do look like that. But there are plenty of people who are doing a lot of really cool things in the world of folklore. Um, and I think your music is such a great example of that. And obviously, we're going to get into it and talk about it. But I really want to start there of being part of this folk tradition or considering yourself someone who makes folk music. What does that word mean to you, and what is your experience like with that? um, Just implies. uh, I said this a second ago. um, Now that we're recording officially, Um, I said this a second ago. um, That's a peek behind the curtain. I apologize, but um, I'm an anthropology major, um, and I like I kind of picked that because 
right before um, I came to college, I started learning about Alan Lomax and um, just like the whole the whole folkways thing, and like that really grabbed me. Um, I had always had like a big interest in history and stuff like that, and just I guess I realized how passionate I was for like the 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 fact that humans have been telling each other stories and passing stuff along like this for millennia and millennia and millennia and like being being like a steward i guess is like the the thing that i think is so cool about being a folk musician um and i feel like i kind of have a long way to go um in in that respect i've only been you know performing for i think 2 years now as a solo act um if that I think it's been two years, but, um, you know, you, you, you see all these other people that are doing kind of the same, they're in the kind of the same sphere and, you know, they have all this, this giant repertoire, like Don Flemons or like Willie Carlisle or any of these other guys. And they have like this huge repertoire of stuff and they've gone and like lived with these old fogies who know all these songs and like they learned them and they learned how to play like the bones and all these other, like, they just have learned all this stuff that kind of uh is part of the folk musician starter kit um so i haven't you know learned that yet um but i do like vernacular music i guess and i i write about like the things that i experience and the things that other people around me experience or i hope they experience i hope i don't come off i hope i at least sound somewhat authentic whenever i write stuff um but i uh i don't know i try to i try to be a, a documentarian of 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 feelings and whatnot. So not only are you a folk musician, you're also just a folklorist. And I'm so glad you bring up Lomax and Folkways. And I would love to hear if you are willing to describe for anyone who's not familiar with that, what is that process? Because there is this whole tradition of folk music and the way in which it's been represented culturally that I think is really important, especially when we talk about moving past some of these stereotypes and doing different things with our lyrics. Um, but would you be able to explain that for anyone who doesn't know? For sure. And and I definitely am not, I'm not an expert. Um, this is definitely just stuff that I spend a lot of time Googling um, and, uh, you know, goofing off. And I was a TA for my marine bio class in high school. So I would just like sit there and, you know, look at the Smithsonian Folkways website. Um, basically back in the 30s, and everybody was in the Great Depression, and FDR was like, we need a new deal. Um, and they, part of the WPA, I'm 90% sure it's a WPA project. I could be totally wrong. I'm getting a nod, so there we go. Um, Alan Lomax and a bunch of other people went out and, you know, recorded all of these uh, just different forms of, I'm going to say vernacular music again, because I think that's a good way of putting it. Just like music that people were doing, folk music. Um, whether that was in prisons, whether that was in churches, whether that was, um, you know, just on the street, whatever, you know, any, any time that they were able to find somebody, they'd take and get their gigantic 1930s recording equipment out of their Model T or whatever, and then, you know, record it. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever as a little, you know, dorky history nerd who had just gotten out of A-Push. I was like, yo, yo, this is so cool. I want to do this as a job. Um, and then now... Now there's like people like Jim's on VHS who are doing you know equivalent the same thing you know Western Western AF all those all those folks it's like, um, you know just taking the, and it's like it's, it's expanded outside of just like what you'd call folk music you know it's not just people on porches playing banjos anymore but like you're you're capturing a scene you're capturing, um, a community and you're putting it out and you're archiving it so it doesn't ever get lost I think that's the part that speaks to me I'm just a I'm a big hoarder. I think that was so well put. And one thing that's always really jumped out to me, both as a folklorist and also just as a storyteller, is the way in which this tradition is really more about telling stories than about anything else. Um, and so much of folk music really is about the actual story piece and the narrative that it's coming across. And if you go to any kind of folk festival, you'll often see a lot of people who are just kind of sitting there with their instrument and not worrying about the lyric structure, not worrying about the bridge, the chorus, but really just telling a story over this music. And there are pros and cons to all of this. So much of what Lomax did and many other early folklorists is also promote these stereotypes that the South and Appalachia was like real America and real music. And you had to go into the back roads to find these kind of vernacular forms of folklore that you're talking about. 
But at the same time, it's a tradition that is rooted in some depth of truth and now is being built on in a lot of ways, which I think you're absolutely contributing to. That's very nice to hear. I'm glad it's like, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm like so bad at talking. It's, it, I never think about it. And then like, I get to a place where I have to talk and I'm being recorded. I'm like, oh, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a cool thing to be a part of. And I just like speaking personally in the stuff that I, cause I've started taking my camera to, to the shows that are happening around Auburn and recording them. And it's just like, I personally care a lot about the people that are in my scene. I like them all a lot. There's not a single person that I'm like, Oh man, I don't like that person. Um, and like, I want there to be some sort of posterity, um, as to like what everybody was doing musically in Auburn and, you know, the early 2020s. Um, and I just think it's like to be a part of that tradition of recording people and then also getting to perform on the side and be a musician myself is very, I'm very lucky to do so. I've had a lot of conversations with people this week about the element of creating community archives. And I feel like that's exactly what you're describing of your, this is your scene, right? This is your community. And I want to get to that in just a second, because we've kind of walked around it without actually addressing it. But thinking of going in and creating this kind of body of work of what this community looks like in the early 2020s, which feels so, it's so weird to say that out loud, like we're in the early 2020s, but we are. And this is such a specific moment of time that who knows down the line, what will be done with these things. But there's something about doing that when it's in your own community and really building out this archive that is community rooted, community based. It's you're telling the stories of people that you know, and that you consider part of your own group that is not often seen in folklore and anthropology. And it's something that I think digital technology is really enabling of now you can just go with your smartphone and everybody has one and you can just record it and upload it to the internet. And I like to think with this podcast, that's so much of what we're doing too, is creating an archive of what it means to be an artist in the South, in the early 2020s. And I do want to touch on, um, you bring up Auburn, you bring up your scene. So what is Auburn to you? What is this scene? Um, it's where I go to school. I did, it's like, <laughs> I'm originally from Baldwin County, Alabama. Um, also Mobile, just the general lower Alabama Bay area, whatever. Um, and I came here because I could afford to, uh, they had good in-state tuition and I got some good scholarships and I kind of never expected to love it here as much as I do. This is not an advertisement for Auburn University. This is just uh, an advertisement for the... Ex- they should be paying you for That's this, you know? We've got to get you on the board. They've got enough yeah. money to. Uh, anyone at Auburn, if you're listening, you know? Please pay me. I'm broke. Uh, but <laughs> it it just so happened that I found a community of extremely cool people um, and people that kind of have encouraged me to do music, um, in and of itself. I found out, you know, I found the radio station that I work at on campus. Um, if I hadn't found that, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now because I wouldn't have been doing music whatsoever. Um, but just, you know, it, everybody is so sweet and everybody's so nice. And it, it's kind of like, even if I eventually move, you know, it's like, this has been such a good place to get my start and, I've met so many amazing people. Um, I golly, it's like I start out strong and then I just cannot finish a can't finish a thought to save my life. But it's a great place. I think that was a great answer. Um, it kind of leads into my next question, which is, I I'm someone who feel I feel like I've had so many different homes and they all impact my life in different ways. Would you consider Auburn like a home for you? And what does home mean to you? Um, and how does that influence your work? That I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, like as much as I always love, uh, you know, Baldwin County and, and lower Alabama as a whole, uh, Auburn is like, I feel like I can be myself more up here than I can at home. Not, not especially, uh, because of like, you know, my family isn't tolerant or whatever. I mean, that's, that's a part of it, but that, I think that's kind of, that's kind of it for everybody. It's like, you, you feel a little bit, you're able to spread your wings a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's comfortable. Um, I can go on bike rides at 2am around town and just kind of, you know, it, it's, uh, 
it's just very familiar and it is big and small in a way that feels very comforting you know it's like there's a lot of places i haven't explored around here yet so there's still like some mystery to it um but also you know i i know people that work places and like people you know people are you know they'll smile at you and uh it's just a it's just a very it's like right in between extremely small town where everybody knows who you are and like big city where you're just a blip and you know a a, a speck in the a speck in the sea and it's just kind of a good middle ground like i said not an advertisement for auburn university cuz i have problems with auburn university um as most everybody does with their institutions of education but auburn as a town is not perfect, but it's very sweet and it's a it's a cool place to live. I love that you bring up this idea of familiarity, which I feel like implies often that you know a place very well. But I feel like in this sense, more of what you're describing is that this familiarity is that this place allows you to know yourself. And I think that's so hard to find something like that, especially in the South. But when you do, it's really special and it feels really rare. And that enables this kind of community building that often can completely change your life. I don't know if you would agree with that. No, I definitely do. Um, just like in the past, it was in November, um, I got together with a couple of uh, a couple of folks. One primarily is one primary person. Um, she's now entering like the second semester of her sophomore year and we all got together and like organized a whole music festival in town um and like just being able to create that kind of community and having like all these different artists that we could pull from actually some were from north carolina um as a matter of fact um the you'll have to put me in touch <laughs> yeah for sure for sure they were um the brothers gillespie was one of them i don't know if that name sounds familiar whatsoever and Oh, I feel terrible because there was one other one that was that drove all the way from North Carolina for this festival out. It was at like an off-roading uh, like adventure park that's like, you know, over by the interstate. Oh, my gosh. I want to go. Can this be like an annual it's, thing? Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. We're actually just talking about today. We need to get some more people to sponsor it. Um, but it's like being able to being able to find myself like, you know, obviously there's like the figuring out like my gender expression and figuring out like the the personal stuff but also like this has been the place where I've figured out how to talk to people and like how to meaningfully and like you know put myself into new situations that I'm uncomfortable with and figure them out and like you know be become a helpful part of a community oh that's so great to think of being a helpful part of a community because so often community can feel transactional in a lot of ways of this is a thing that provides comfort to me and that I'm a part of. But I think that true community and real community is not just about what you get from it, but it's also about what you bring. And this idea of like mutual reciprocity, which is part of what I love about the arts. You really see that. And it's been amazing just with this project of all the different things of festivals in the works and zine artists who are making things for other things and just people who didn't know each other now connecting. And you see how community gets built because people are willing to put themselves out there in these myriad of ways, which two communities that I feel both that I identify with and I see this a lot are both arts communities and the queer community. I like I feel like the the experience of following somebody on Instagram because they look cool or like they do something cool, like you know they they post like cool art or whatever, and then you finally you like you see a, like a show or like anything, and you're like, are you you know whatever? I have a I have a great friend of mine um, who I had, the first time I met them I was like, are you twelve ounce Red Bull? Because that's their Instagram handle. So it's like, it's just the funniest thing. It's like a it's the modern you know. Are you a friend of Dorothy? It, but just in terms, I don't know. It's so fun. I love it. Every time I, every time I get to, you know, are you, you know, whatever, are you Luigi's Ballsack on Instagram? Is that, is that your handle? It's just, it's the funniest thing ever. And it's like, but then it's like you have a new friend. In folklore, we talk about like, we talk about transmission and how people, we talk about transmission often of like information, but there's also with social media, like a transmission of people, which is, it is, it's like all these new folk groups being built. Um, 
Speaking of names, I have to ask, Bard of Baldwin County, where did where did this originate? Where did it come from? Because it's fantastic. Like, I think it's the best music name I've ever heard. So you have to tell us more. Thank you. That's very sweet. I'm very glad. I was, I want, whenever I was trying to figure out something, um, I wanted something that was like, it, I'm assuming you've probably heard of Field Medic before. He does like the, the, like, he's. He does really cool stuff. And like I love the fact that like his artist name is like a title. You know, it's like a it's like an assignment. And so I always thought that that was super cool. Um and then one year uh for spring break, uh my aunt and uncle live out in Arizona. So I went and saw them uh and the last day that I was there, we were in Phoenix at the Musical Instrument Museum, which is like the coolest place on the planet. If you ever get a chance to go to the Musical Instrument Museum, please do. Uh, and they have like, whenever you first walk in, they have like this big eye catch gallery of all these different guitars and, uh, it's mainly guitars. Cause that's like, Oh, it's a cool guitar. Uh, and one of them was from the state balladeer of Arizona. I was like, you can have, that's like a title you can have. That's cool as hell. And I want that. I, that's an amazing title. It's like a poet laureate, but cooler. <laughs> You know, it's so whenever I was trying to sit down um, and figure out a name, I toyed with the official wizard of Baldwin County for a while because I had seen like a a bit on um, it was this old like Comedy Central sketch where they they had met the official wizard of New York City. Um, And I was like, maybe I'm the official wizard of Baldwin County. But then, you know, you you slide into Bard and then it sticks and it's alliterative. It's four letters. It kind of it goes on shirts. It, so, you know, it just kind of, I kind of lucked into it. I'm very happy with it. Um, and as we were talking about earlier, it, it's just kind of become like what people call me on the norm. And it's very nice. I like it a lot. It also really seems to speak to the nature of your music, which we're going to delve into the lyrics because we can't not. Your lyrics are incredible, but there are so many stories in what you're doing with your music. And I want to talk a little bit about your journey into music and as a musician and what that's been like before we even get into the lyrics, but you're not just writing songs that are going to sound nice or entertain. You're doing this folklore work and you're also, I mean, a bard is often a poet, right? It's a community storyteller and you're really writing these songs that the lyrics speak the stories of your community in a way that also is kind of fun and entertaining and enjoyable to listen to. And that in my mind is exactly what a bard does. So I think it's a very fitting title. And I would love to hear about how you got into music and what that's been like. So it took me like forever to get into music. Um, Like I grew up and I listened to music and stuff. I like my granddad burned me like Doobies Brothers CDs. I was actually just talking to one of my professors today. Um, we she asked us like what our first CD was, um, and I vividly remember having a a burned CD of like Weird Al Yankovic songs off of LimeWire, um, which carbon dates me um, as a person because I, you know, used LimeWire as a child. Um, Don't worry, it dates us even more. <laughs> see, there you go. It's I just oh, I love. I miss it. I miss it so bad. Uh, but I didn't get into like being a musician until high school, um, where my friends were all in band and I wasn't in band and I wanted to hang out with them more. So I joined band with very little musical experience. Um, and I sucked at it really bad for a couple months. Um, and then eventually, uh, my two best friends now were like, Hey, we are in this like garage band and we need a singer. You did choir in fifth grade. Right. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and we were a, we did misfits covers and we did green day covers and we, we were okay. We were terrible. We were, uh, it was, it was an experience. It was really fun. Um, but I did that all throughout high school. Um, and, we you know did talent shows and stuff and we did like <laughs> we did like PTA events and stuff like that um and it's very it's like i love looking back on it uh it's just like a silly thing i did as as a teenager uh but then i got to college and i met this dude who worked at the radio station on campus and i got my first like solo performance gig as part of that and then i've been doing it ever since you know busking and 
playing house shows and and getting other gigs whenever I can. So that's kind of that's how I've gotten to this point, at least. When you think about your future with music, what is your like in dream goal? Where would you like to be? That is an extremely think big. That, okay, think big. If I'm being very optimistic, um, I get to tour. Um, not, you know, not not uh, not Beyonce status, but if I could hit like, you know, working gigging musician, and I get to travel and I get to tour, and I don't have to worry about paying my rent. Um, and like people just like my music, I'm very happy. You know what I mean? Uh, right now I actually work as a sound guy, um, at the radio station and at like the one venue that we have in town. Um, so, uh, you know, my plan is now just to kind of get a day job, keep doing music on the side, um, and then keep working and just as long as I can stay connected to music in some capacity for the rest of my life, I'm happy. You know, whether that's, whether that's, you know, as a musician and performing and getting to tour, that's like the goal. But um, even if I'm sticking around here and doing like videography or, you know, learning how to actually record myself not on a tape player and like doing that for other people, um, that that's kind of, I just, I, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, like what I'd be doing with my life. I wouldn't have ever dreamed that I could do music for a career. Um, and I guess I'm not doing music as a career technically right now, like on the books, but like, you know, that's the goal. I I, I don't think not that, yet, not yeah, yet. <laughs> hopefully knock on wood. It's funny when you look back 10 years ago, 10 years ago, all I wanted was to write stories and not do it in the South, not do it in the country, preferably. And I went and did that for a little while and then realized that the ultimate stories I wanted to write were actually about the things I knew and the communities I identified with and that I couldn't do that from far away. You have Baldwin County in your name. So I'm wondering what Baldwin County as a place means to you in your work and your music and how that has kind of influenced your journey as a musician and as an artist. Baldwin County, Alabama is... I think the biggest county in Alabama, I don't know exactly by land size, but it goes all the way from the tip of the, like the Gulf of Mexico down to Gulf Shores up into Baymanette, which is where I lived for like all throughout high school, BFE, love Baymanette, Alabama. Um, and it sits right across from Mobile and it's right on the Bay and the Delta and it's hot and it's humid and it's wet. And it is so unpleasant to walk outside in the summer. It feels like you're walking through soup. But despite all that, it's where I grew up. And it is... I don't know why it feels like home, but it does in a way that, like, is... I don't know. I feel like everybody has that about their hometown. But, like, I never lived in one, like, one town for more than, like five years at a time as a kid. Like we always moved, you know, we, we lived over in Mobile for a little while. We lived in Baymanette and Daphne and Spanish Fort. Um, and like, so I feel like I got to see all of it and all like, you know, even the places I didn't live, even the little towns I didn't live in are just so special to me. Um, and I don't know if it's the, like the fact that I, um, my family owned a bakery when I was growing up, and so, like, I would get to go and see, like, just all these really pretty venues and stuff, and even, like, you know, we'd just go to people's houses to deliver cakes on a Saturday, um, and you would just kind of get to see, like, the breadth of everybody that was living there um, in a way that I don't think you do if you just kind of live in a place and you don't, like... <laughs> work at a, work a job that like requires you to go to people's homes on like big events and like holidays and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's hard to pin one thing down about it there, but like, it's just naturally it's very pretty. Um, you know, there's a lot of biodiversity down there like I, that I didn't really grow to appreciate until I left. Um, and there's just like, it's just cool. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say other than just, it's cool. It's neat. 
there's never a good way to put it into words. But what I was thinking as you were speaking is that it's easy to live in a place without really living in a place. And I think so many people do that, especially people who move to the South and, you know, they want to live in like Charlotte or Birmingham or Atlanta, but they don't want to live in the South. Like I know so many people who will say, oh, I live in Asheville, but not that's not North Carolina, right? And the hard thing is that when you really live in a place, the way that you're describing it, when you really see it up close and you go to people's homes and you're part of that community, it is everything all at once, right? It's beautiful and it's horrible and it's somewhere you love and it's the most hated place you've ever been and it's home, but it's also not home at all. And there's no easy way to put it into words. And I was thinking to myself this afternoon in one of my classes, I was like, I don't know that I've ever loved and hated something so much at the same time. And at least for me, the only way into kind of processing all of those feelings was to do it through art, but really specifically to do it in this kind of like Southern Gothic vein of, I'm not going to sit here and glorify this place and talk about how wonderful it is, but I do think that there's something really unique and beautiful and strange about it. And for me, the only way to process that was to write about it in an equally strange genre. And I want to delve into a song that I mentioned to you that I cannot stop listening to, which is your song Cicada Waltz. We're going to link it here. Um, And it feels to me like so Southern Gothic, but also really rooted in this folk tradition and I maybe I need to just like put a snippet in so people can listen to it. But I would love to hear how you bring this sense of place into your music, because as you were talking and you were describing Baldwin County and you were like, it's hot and it's humid and it's so sticky. I could just hear the song in my head and I could see the place so clearly. And I've never even been to Alabama. Um, So you do such a great job in your lyrics of bringing these places in and and bringing them to life. And there's an author who I really love named Claire V. Watkins, who writes about the California Mojave Desert. And there was an interview that came out with her a couple of years ago, and it was talking about how her work brings these places alive in order to allow them to die at the same time. And that's become such a big influence of the way I think about the South of we have to have art to bring these myths and these traditions and these stories alive and also recognize that there are some that need to die and there are ways in which that can happen. And I, I just think you're doing that. And I would love to hear more about that song and the process um, because I'm obsessed with it. I can't stop listening to it. That That is very kind. Thank you so much. Um, like, I I wrote that song. Um, I can't remember exactly, like, the, the, the day I had that, like, the idea for it. But I've just been, like, fascinated uh, by bugs in the past couple of years. I'm terrified of bugs. I Bugs are the thing I'm, like, most scared of ever in the whole world. Um, but my girlfriend is a uh, – well, she's technically not, like, in the entomology program. But, like, all of the stuff she's doing is, like, very motivated by bugs. She thinks bugs are really cool. She's also been on a big worm kick recently. Um, like, she loves worms. Um, but like, I think I started to really appreciate how cool bugs were cause they're just like everywhere and they're all so different, like morphologically or whatever. Um, and I got to thinking about like cicadas and how they're so ubiquitous down here in the summertime and how they sound so cool. And then I started doing more research on them and then I was like, oh, I can be really smart and make like this weird metaphor thing about you know like sleeping for 17 years because it's like um you know as like as uh somebody who's been trying to figure out like who they are and like what what they're all about um you kind of feel like you've been like in a stupor for a while and then you you come into a new place and you're like oh wow this is who i am and like this is what i want to do with my life um and you know that's in regard to gender or sexuality or literally anything you know it's like i feel like there's no there's no um stopgap to what that to what that you can relate that to but um you know i i was doing a lot of googling on wikipedia and reading about cicadas and like the different species of them um i think i actually messed up in that song this is a this is an exclusive for this for the a little lyrical tidbit um the cicadas that live in Alabama, I think, actually come out every 14 years and not every 17 years uh, because there's, like, two different breeds of periodical, pot, 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 periodical cicadas. Um, so 
I just kind of mashed all that together and I wrote a song about it and I hadn't done a song in three, four yet. So I was like, I'll do a song. It'll be a waltz. And it just kind of ended up like it. I stole, like I wanted to do, um, Coulter Wall has that song, Kate McCannon. And he's got the kick drum on the vet. And I was like, I want to do that. That's cool. I, I knew wanna... it sounded <laughs> from the, I love the song Kate McCannon. That's been like it a is. huge song. I've got a bunch of like queer cow people, cowgirls, cowboys, all of them <laughs> in the book I'm working on. And that song has been in the background. It's so a good I one. knew there was something really familiar about it. it that's, oh my gosh. I'm loving this more because I never it's... would have guessed all of these things, which is, <laughs> this is why you have to talk to artists about the influence behind their art, because otherwise I would have been like, this is just a really great song. And I would have never <laughs> thought about Cicada sleeping for 14, 17 years. This is so, so cool. Thank you. It's, it's like I... I, uh, I'm really glad you like that one. I, I get like, I get, um, I think that there is a, a tendency because we kind of talked, we touched on this already when you're thinking like, you think a folk musician and you think, um, you know, dude with a banjo on a farm with a giant beard and overalls. But like the thing I've tried to tell myself or like stop bugging myself out about is that not every folk song has to be in the key of G and has to have the same song structure and everything. And, like, I've tried to, like, write stuff that sounds folky, that is folky, you know, trying to, trying to like, talk, hype myself up here and be like, you are a folk musician. But, like, I've tried to write stuff that is folk music that doesn't sound like normal folk music. Um, and... I'm glad that Cicada Waltz, because Cicada Waltz is one of those that I'm like, I was always kind of nervous about, because I feel like it sounds um, more more modern, a little less timeless than a lot of other stuff that you hear in the folk music genre. Um, and so I'm glad that I'm glad that you like it. I'm glad that it resonates. And I'm glad I get to say to the world that I ripped Coulter Wall off here. I feel like that's another important thing about folk music. About any music, it's all stealing. You're you're stealing from everybody. Every artist is. Um, who was it? It was Paul Gauguin who said, "Great art, what good artists copy, great artists exactly. steal." Exactly. Exactly. So we're all just stealing from each other. But I to I, I totally see the influence of. It's got a little bit of the folk, and you also have some blues kind of sounds in there as well. And you can see the Coulter Wall. Another person who comes to mind is Adia Victoria, who's doing a lot of really cool like blues I folk. I heard that name. Um, if you don't know up. her, she's amazing. She has an album that came out last year. Was it last year? It was either last year or the year before. Time is. I have no grasp on time anymore, but it's called a Southern Gothic. Um, so obviously has been really influential in my own work, but she's doing a lot of very cool things as well of saying, this is a tradition that I was raised around, but I was kind of historically excluded from, at least in like the term or the world of popular music and like the Nashville scene. And I'm going to reclaim this and make it my own and do it through this kind of Southern Gothic lens. So I definitely think what you're doing has the folk music bend, but you're making it your own, which is really what every great artist should be doing, you know? I appreciate that. That's very sweet. I want to talk about your most popular song, which is Heavens to... Mur is it Murgatroyd? Murgatroyd. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd. So before I even get into the lyrics, wh what is Murgatroyd? So it's... I had to Google it whenever I... Because I took the I took the title from... Um, uh, it's not Choo Choo. Is it Choo Choo? It is Choo Choo. Um, from old Hanna Barbera cartoons, he's like this. He's this. No, it's not. It's not Choo Choo. Oh, I feel terrible. I can't remember his actual name. He's a pink cat. Um, but he was a character in Hanna Barbera cartoons, and I like I watched a bunch of Boomerang as a kid. Um, and he would just go heavens to Murgatroyd, exit stage left, even, and it, like that was his thing. But it was like Murgatroyd, from what I understand, from my Google, from my research that I've done is, like, just an old, like, last name, which is whack, and I think we need to bring it back. Me, personally, if I met somebody named Murgatroyd on the street, I would flip, because that's a cool-ass name. You sound like a Transformer. Um, but I, I don't, he's always, he's, he's a little bit, he's a little bit fruity, um, and the song's a little bit fruity, so I was like, eh, you know, why not? It sounds cool. Nobody really, it's like, sometimes I will, like, see something, like I'll, I'll like think of like a title or like I'll see just like a string of words and I'm like that's cool I want to make that my thing I want to claim that as for like for me so then I'll like that's a song title 
I've got like Phoebe, uh, Phoebe Bridgers of Madison County in my notes app right now. It's just it's just dumb stuff, you know. The cat's name is Snagglepuss. Just FYI, Snagglepuss, Snagglepuss. Yeah, Snagglepuss. I, I am. Thank you, thank you. I was gonna be so mad at myself if I didn't think about it. Oh, that's a relief. I was like, I know who they're talking about. Snagglepuss. Thank you so much. You are literally my savior. It's really cool what you do with that of like something that is familiar from your childhood and then, you know, you're kind of picking up on these other aspects of it and then making it your own with the song. And obviously the song deals with a lot of elements of queerness. And I I just love these lyrics that say, I wish I could pick and choose my parts, trade a singing saw for my possum heart. I want to be what I want to be. But I guess despite all of that, despite everything, I'm still me. Like this is just like top notch lyricism, but you're also kind of addressing your own like identity through this and all these different things you want to be and the way you express that in the world and how you deal with queerness. And, and it's so cool to see that in folk music and to see that again, in these traditions that have historically just not made space for this. And yeah. Can you just tell us more about like the journey of that song? Um, And I don't know, have you gotten to perform any songs off this album yet? I I have I uh, a lot of time I'm I feel like I'm a way better live artist than I am recorded I feel like I kind of suck on recording um and partially well I'll definitely that's... have to see you live then I think you're great on recording <laughs> <laughs> thank you I that that genuinely means a ton it's like I I get such bad this is a mini tangent and then I'll return to the the actual question you asked me but like I have a ton of anxiety about recording I you know wish I had gotten into all of this stuff in high school when I had all the time in the world to like sit and make all of the really shitty stuff you have to do as an artist to be kind of good at something. Um, I know I'm sure that y'all relate to that just in terms of everything, whether it's writing or literally other, any other artistic stuff, you just have to make so much shit before you can start to make good stuff. Oh my God. And then you're going to spend the next like 10 years ashamed of it. And I'm afraid to look at the notes on my phone. I have notebooks. It's like locked in a back door. Sometimes I think of stuff that I used to perform at open mic nights and I'm like, who let, who let me do that? But then also, you know, you can recognize in your artistic journey, I wouldn't be doing what I am today. And I'm sure I'll look back in five years and be like, who let me say that on the internet, you know? But yes, I'm so glad you bring that up because it's so true and people don't talk about it enough. So yeah, exactly. It's like you just – there's so much of it. But long story short, I lean into like recording on tape and recording on stuff like that because it's crunchy. And like if it sounds bad, I can just blame it on cassette tape and I like how it sounds anyway. So, But anyways, that whole song, I can't remember how I wrote it, but um, it uh, – I think one day I was just feeling down. And it was one of those times where you go and you stare at the mirror and you're like, is this my face? Is this who I am right now? And it's like all the dysphoria or whatever. And um, stuff just started coming out and it probably went through a bunch of iterations. I could probably look through my old phone recordings and find like 15 different versions of it where I was trying different stuff out. But, um, you know, I feel like once I was able to get uh, a couple verses in and... um, you know, there's there's like a line about Judith Butler and a, a line about like Wendy Carlos and all of these like um, <laughs> I say I say Judith Butler. I, I have read about Judith Butler and I think we might have read one of her articles or essays or something in my anthropological theory class. But I'm going to keep it a buck and I reading theory is so hard for me my little peanut brain can't do it and so it's like i know of like ideas and so, see you get it it's like it's just it's like i know that i know that, like you know gender's a performance or whatever so like there you go that's a cool little that's a cool little metaphor i can throw in there um and so it just kind of all came together and then i was able to put in like a, a weird little like slow you know country section at the end of it and then speed it back up again i was like that sounds cool i hope people like it and people have and it makes me really happy i was gonna ask about like audience reception and performing it live um in a lot of the conversations that i have with different musicians the songs that really always seem to resonate especially in the world of folk music are often songs that deal with queerness and identity because there has been just such a dearth of those for so long so how you say people really resonate with it what has that been like and have you gotten a chance to like perform this live and actually see people's reactions to it 
hits people like yell the lyrics and it makes me want to cry literally every single time it is it like the best time um i helped set up this little like show on halloween that was it, it was basically just like the people that work in the student media of Auburn, we were just like trying to get a little get together together. Um, it was very last minute, but it was me and this excellent like indie rock emo band called Radio Decay that are like Auburn DIY royalty. They've just been in the scene for so long and they're the best. Um, but it ended up just being like basically all my friends that were here and watching this show and like people were just screaming the lyrics and uh like i don't know it it genuinely like made me cheer up at that like i think being able to have people recite like sing along with you to something that you wrote and then it also be something that's like very um like personal and and about like your identity and being able to like i feel like as as a musician you write stuff for yourself a lot of the time as as a as a creative you do stuff for yourself um but then having that to having that like be shouted back at you quite literally and like have other people relate to it as much as they do is just the coolest thing in the world especially when it's in person too it's like oh my gosh you're literally yelling at me like i can you you know I can smell your breath. You need to wash your teeth, but thank you. It's I don't know. It's just the coolest thing ever. It's times like this that I wish I was a musician instead of a writer because writing, you know, it's the same kind of principle, um, but it does often feel lonely. But I, I have similar experiences of people who will just email me and like, truly, like it means so much and I save all of them. And I think art forces you to hold up a mirror to who you are in a way that is really jarring and really painful. And the honest truth is that you probably will not make good art or what feels good to you until you go through that process, but it is not easy and it will, it'll almost take you out. Um, but it is kind of necessary. And, and there's that kind of light at the end of the tunnel of if you go through that process and you really start making the art that feels true to who you are, there is the beautiful part when people see themselves in it. And that is in my mind, how community is built and, and what what it is and what it means and why art is so important and so powerful. You know, it's not just about bringing beauty to the world. It's really about saying, this is the deepest truth of who I am. And other people saying I am there too. For sure. For sure. It's like, it's, it's weird. And like, I, I, I feel like a lot of the time I, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I'm definitely neurodivergent in some way. I've never been able to get diagnosed or whatever, but like I I feel like I've always kind of been on the outside of things and being able to write stuff and then have people, you know, just like you said, being like you're they're in there too. You know, like they're they're um it's just it's so cool. It's it's such a unique thing and I feel so lucky to be um be a part of like even with like the the circle which is a shout out shout out Ren um shout out our mutual our mutual friend that put us in touch um you know they they run the circle which is like the arts magazine on campus and every every semester they do snaps which is this big like open it's not open it, it is an open mic kind of if you submit stuff and it gets in and you can go and do a reading for it and like just being able to like be in a space where everybody's like on an even keel and everybody is like want to see what you've made and like wants to hear your story or whatever is so cool. And the fact that I get to be a part of that um, and actively create and uh, just support other people that do it. Like there's a, I have to, this is not good for an audio medium, but I work at the venue I work at. There is the Opelika Auburn Film Art Collective, and it's these two, these two old dudes who like show weird art house movies and stuff. And one of my really good friends made like a mini zine for their like next little season of all the movies that they're doing, and it's just like, it's so cool, you know. It's like I get to be in a community where people are making stuff for other people's like projects, and it, I don't know, it's so cool. No, it it really is just incredible and. It's amazing to see how the way you describe it feels so supportive and so just mutually reciprocative where people want to pass down 
the support that they have been given, which something that comes up in a lot of these conversations is that we all can kind of agree that we really want community, especially as artists. And that often it doesn't make it any easier to find it. Um, I know like when I was in college, I feel like I was applying left and right to like join literary clubs or be on the board of this or that and just getting rejected left and right. And it's so easy to feel like you're never going to find it. and You're never going to have that community. Um, and as I've gotten older, I think I just realized you can just build it, right? Like you don't have to wait for these people to open the door for you. You know, you could say, hey, I really love your music. Here's a zine that I'm going to make. Use it or not. But now we have some sort of connection. And it is so hard to do that. So much of what I feel like I've learned as an artist the last few years is like, just tell people you think they're cool. Just message people on social media, right? Like have no shame about it because most artists are really cool and really welcoming and and we want to help each other in some kind of way. Um, And everybody can feel intimidated and these scenes can often feel closed. And I found this even like working in Southern journalism is there are a couple big name publications and it's hard to break into and you can you can be so certain that something is a community for you and still not be sure of your place in it. But I think that the way you're talking about this is sometimes you just have to show up and you just have to let people know that you like what they do and see where it goes. And maybe that's not the community for you, right? Like you never know where life is going to lead you, but sometimes it's just about taking the opportunity to let someone know. Yep. That's exactly like the thing that I've learned most in all of this stuff is to just be I just try to be like radically happy and radically enthusiastic about everything that my friends are making and like everything that like is that I think is cool and there like there's a there's like a line in uh beatific vision and self-derision in evil be flat which is my proudest work of being an obnoxious uh, musician who writes really long song titles, but like, it's like, I love this world and the people prone to loving. you know, it's like, I love, I love love. And like, I love being able to like be enthusiastic about stuff and like have, you know, it sounds so cornball and so cheesy. And I, I, I hope that I don't come off way too, um, way too, way too much in, in this and also in real life. Um, I try to rein it in, but like, I just want people to know that they're really appreciated and especially if like you're making art and you're being extremely vulnerable and coming from somebody who is extremely shy and extremely, you know, averse to having eyes on them anytime other than, you know, being on stage. Like I know how hard it is and I know it kind of sucks in a way, like, you know, getting up on there and especially if it's like a crowd that's not into you and it's not digging you, it sucks. But like, trying and like doing doing the damn thing um and i mean there's 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 scenes that i've been trying to get myself into um and especially like the like i feel like there's a bit of an old guard like of i feel like it's in any scene but like the people who have been in music for a little while and you kind of have to like prove yourself that like you're not like a flash in the pan or you don't suck. And so that's like kind of a thing that I've been trying to work on is, is the people that like own the big venues and the people that like, you know, are in with like the people that, you know, know the big people. Um, and so like, there's always going to be another, another group that you have to, you know, fight your way into and be like, Hey, listen, I'm making stuff and you're going to listen to it if you're so pleased. I'm not going to force you, but I would appreciate it if you listen to my music. Um, I'm going to be really nice to you until you do. And then we're going to be friends. We're going to be best friends. Uh, But like, I don't know, just being able to like be a part of something is so cool. And like I said earlier, you mentioned like, you know, it's, it's a mutual reciprocity thing. I never go into anything wanting something. Like I always like genuinely, I, want to like just let everybody know that they're appreciated and like like we could never talk again but I'm still going to tell you your set was great and like I genuinely if you know if like you're doing something cool I want you to know but like that's how you build communities you know it's like and and then and then you get to do other cool stuff for them going forward you know like I get to go and record my my friend's band playing or whatever um and 
I think I've kind of diverged rapidly from whatever the original question was, but like, it, it's just, it's so cool. And like, I love, I love being able to tell people that they're doing good. Cause I know how awesome it is when somebody tells me the same thing, you know, and especially if it's like a musician to musician thing or a writer to writer thing or an artist to artist thing in general, it's just, I don't know. It's so cool. I was going to jump in and say that every artist has a praise kink because everyone just loves hearing that they did good because you get so nervous, like creating this thing you're really proud of. And then you're like, done it. And you're like, okay, I did the thing. I did, the you're thing. Gonna, you're gonna, you're did a good job. Did you hate it? Do I need to like kill myself? <laughs> like, or do I need to create more? You know, I think it's like, and that's how everyone has like the little like imposter syndrome, I think. So like just going up being like, I really love this. I really, truly enjoy it. And that's how I met like a lot of my artist friends. So I think it's like so super important of like really uplifting the community that you're in. Um, and just really saying, I really like what you did. Yeah. Good job. Do it again. I want to hear more. <laughs> what I was going to say as well, one of my favorite things you do is you actually speak to the audience in your music. And I, the first time I listened through to your album, I wasn't expecting it. And it, it made me smile so much where you let the audience know, like, I'm grateful for you and I love you. And like, thank you for listening. And I just feel like more artists should do that because it's, it's so wonderful. And it's, I don't know. I've never seen it done before. Oh, well, it's like, I just... I, I've always had really bad self-esteem problems, if I, I'm just being completely honest. Like, I, I hate myself a lot of the time. You know, it's like, it it's not even to be a bummer, just being, just keeping it a buck. It's like, and so it always means the world to me that people interact with my stuff in any meaningful way. You know, because there's so many people that make fantastic art, and then they post it online, and it gets, you know, very little interaction. You know, you get five likes, you get 30 likes or whatever. And that's all, there's a whole other conversation to be had about like how much you care about interaction on social media. But like the fact that people take the time out of their day to listen to my music that I recorded in my grandma in my grandpa's basement, like that means the world to me. That is literally the coolest thing ever that I get to sit here. I recorded actually, so I recorded the first my first EP in that closet over there. Ignore how messy it is, and then I recorded the second one. And uh, this one that I'm releasing next Friday on in my grandma's basement. You know, it's like, it's so the fact that people have actively sought it out in some cases, and, and they're sh also shout out to Kelsey Herzog from the Yellow Button for literally changing my life, because she was the person that, like, put me out into the world and, like, showed people that my music exists, and that was like, ah... I could cry. I literally, you know, people who do like independent playlist curation and stuff like that are like, you know, the 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 modern day Alan Lomaxes, I guess, somewhat maybe. But um I don't know. It's just it it means the world to me and if I can if I can make people smile by saying, "Hey, I love you." You know, it's like, "Thank you for listening." That's the that's the least I can do, you know? I should be paying you to listen to my music, dog. Hell. <laughs> The moral of the story is just, you know, it, it, sometimes these little forms of interaction on both sides, like you never know how much they mean to people. You have no idea what your lyrics mean to someone who like really needed to hear that song and know that this is possible for them too. Right. And vice versa. Um, so the moral of the story, I think is just tell people you like their art and their work and who they are. And I just love this conversation so much. Like you're such a light and joy and presence and, I need to come to Auburn because I've never been to Alabama and it sounds very, very fun. And yeah, shout out to Ren for putting us in touch. Um, Ren is the best. And unfortunately, we are coming up to our hour time and we do always end the podcast with we ask everybody the same final question and you can take a minute to think about it. You can interpret it however you would like. But the question is, what do you believe in? Oh, hell what you can't drop that on me at the end of a podcast that's like that's like what do you ask on somebody's deathbed sometimes i give people warning and sometimes i like to just go full chaos and and just drop it and and see where we go what are your values you know what do you what comes after death like come on now we've had a variety of answers we've had everything from like cryptids to art to myself to my work so <laughs> take it as you will um i like to believe that people I'm not going to say people are inherently good. People are inherently good. I will say that. 
And even if they suck really bad on the outset, no, there are some people that do suck. Maybe I take that back. Maybe everybody isn't inherently good. Maybe some people just do suck. No, that's too cynical. People people are inherently good. Um, and if you're nice to people, people can change. And per, like making as much stuff that is nice and it, putting that out into the world is extremely necessary. And I think that it helps a lot. Um, there are some people that suck, and you might have to be a dick to them a little bit, but then hopefully maybe they come around. Um, also, I believe in cryptids. Um, maybe some of them. Maybe not Mothman. But, like, I've we've got to have a skunk ape some somewhere, maybe. There's got to be, like, a gorilla that got out of a zoo, and we just haven't found him yet. I don't know. I'm not a... I'm not a cryptozoo that the cryptozoology concept ep is that that's down the road that's coming out one of these days i've got material but it'll be a collaboration with the folklorist and the musician you know we'll we'll team there up you go that's what i'm saying if if i could be i literally almost before <laughs> before university of uh western kentucky shut down their folklore program that's where i was going to go to grad school for public folklore you can always come to Chapel Hill. We are a small but mighty group. And there you go. I will say we're, we're very fun. I might be a little biased, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm actually following UNC Chapel Hill, like the whatever Instagram account they have. But I, yeah, I think that you should be nice to people and try to make people laugh. Um, and you should go decorate your house in stuff that's ugly and weird and look for the small things and um eat salt we only live like 80 years don't worry about what you're eating have fun i don't know i love you this is we love that's you my, too this is such a great variety of answers um to our regular listeners know this but around here at good folk our whole thing is that we just really believe that people are good and that good folks are everywhere and that you have to believe that this is where our title came from is I really just believe that people are good and, and especially in the South and in rural places and we're good folks. They're out there. Everyone is a good folk and yeah. And we love, we love all of you and we love you. And for anyone who wants to follow your work and your music and where you go from here, how can they find you? How can they get in touch? You can find me on instagram at official bard of baldwin county um you can look me up on bandcamp spotify uh apple itunes apple music microsoft zune um face i have a facebook page i don't really ever use it i need to do that uh, i'm still kind of in the in the uh figuring my shit out phase of being a DIY musician um but bandcamp instagram spotify um that i'm streaming everywhere uh, I also have a website, officialbard.card, C-A-R-R-D dot co, um, which I need to update. Um, but that's, that's where I live on the internet. Um, I'd give my address, but that wouldn't be smart. Um, I message me, reach out to me, talk to me. I love you. Um, and, uh, oh, hell, I had another thing that I was going to say. Oh, new EP coming out next Friday, uh, the twenty. 20- Eighth, it was a thing that I wrote in a day, so it kind of sucks, but it's about birds. Uh, I wrote it all in a day and recorded it the next day, so it's weird and it's rough and it's funky. It's not funky. One song's funky, but it, it's about birds. So that, that's what's that's what's next for me. Get on it, people. Follow everything, and I'm so excited for the new album. Thank you so much for being here. To everyone listening, wherever you are, have a good day, good night, good afternoon. We love you. We'll see you soon. Seventeen years we slumber below Counting the leaves that fall with us
composers but still 